Big U.S. banks mostly earn passing grades from regulators in the final round of annual stress tests conducted to gauge how they could deal with a financial crisis like the one in 2008. The Fed's annual stress test imposed this year on a total of 33 different firms. Under what the Fed termed a severely adverse scenario, the firms tested here would hypothetically lose a total of $526 billion over nine quarters. That's how CNBC reported the results from the Federal Reserve's annual stress test. All but two of 33 institutions passed. U.S. banking units of two foreign firms, Deutsche Bank AG and Banco Santander SA, flunked due to concerns about their ability to measure risks. Mark Weinberger is Ernst & Young's global chairman and CEO. Certainly it's a big sigh of relief. I say sigh of relief, but they worked hard at this. I mean, the regulators are increasing the capital requirements every year. They're increasing the risk management requirements every year. And banks have been working all year to get here and good results. I mean, by and large, this is really good for the financial institutions. Overall, the 2016 stress test reflect the Fed's view that the banking sector is much stronger than it was leading up to the 2008 bailouts. But not so fast. A Harvard professor and author of a new book on the subject says those bank stress tests are not enough to avert financial crisis. The UK's departure from the European Union could also trigger a massive panic for financial markets, similar to what took place after the collapse of Lehman Brothers in 2008. Hal Scott is author of Connectedness and Contagion, Protecting the Financial System from Panics, and he's here to explain. So, Professor Scott, these stress tests may not be enough? Yes, I don't think we should just uh, be confident if the banks pass these stress tests that everything is okay and that we'll survive a financial panic. I, I think for two reasons. Number one, the stress tests can't anticipate everything that can happen. Uh, in fact, the European stress test didn't even stress for Brexit, which they knew was coming up. And, and secondly, stress tests only measure capital. And it is true that after the crisis, banks generally have more capital. But in a financial panic, which is sort of the story of my book, no amount of capital is enough. You need other weapons to fight the contagion that will break out in a panic where people are just taking their money out of banks or not giving their money back to banks. Uh, we need other weapons to deal with that. Tell us uh, what contagion is, for those who may not know. It's um, kind of a irrational run on the financial system, uh, typified by the Depression, where there was a run on the banks. In the modern world, people aren't lined up there. Um, they take their money out electronically, particularly institutions. And also in the modern world, it's not just about banks, it's about non-banks. In 2008, we had a run on the money market funds, for instance. And so what would you like to see be the uh, the standard test for, for our financial system? What do you think needs to be done? Well, I don't think there's any test, Steve. I think what we have to have are, if a contagion is sort of on the horizon or it breaks out, we need the central bank to provide adequate liquidity. We need the uh, deposit insurance agencies like FDIC to increase their insurance. We need ways to provide guarantees for non-banks in a crisis, and ultimately we need to inject capital into failing banks. By the way, all these things that we did quite successfully in 2008 are now highly restricted because of the feeling in Congress uh, in 2010 when Dodd-Frank was passed that all this was a bailout of Wall Street. And of course, today, 
every political candidate is against bailing out Wall Street. And uh, under that heading, we've kind of restricted all these things we're actually going to need to do if we come into another crisis. Uh, I'm interested to get your uh, opinion on this notion of too big to fail, because We've been hearing uh, over the last couple of months, every once in a while, one of these other big uh, financial institutions has been declared not too big to fail. This whole notion of too big to fail, is it a joke? I think it's a partial joke, Steve. Um, (laughs) Not a complete joke. Uh, I think we don't, in principle, we don't want institutions to be rescued by the government because that creates bad incentives for those institutions who know they can be rescued they would take more risk. The question is, can we design a financial system to avoid that? And it's very difficult, particularly with extremely large banks. Now, we think we're on the road to doing it, but we're far from there. Uh, I think it's a concern that they are too big to fail, but making sure that we can allow them to fail without injecting public capital is a very difficult thing in reality, although everybody uh, you know, would like to see that. The Dodd-Frank Act of uh, 2010 uh, was designed to reform financial policies and prevent this uh, financial crisis, another financial crisis like we saw in 2008. Do you think it's doing its job properly, or has it been watered down and changed too much? It's not been watered down. I would say that you know the agencies that have implemented Dodd-Frank have done a good job. They've uh, you know been very very uh, tough on the banking system. The problem is that I described before is um, you can do a lot to try to prevent a crisis, but you also need to be sure that if it ever happens, despite your best efforts, uh, that you're able to fight it. It's like you would tell people that they should take prevention against fires and, you know, do all sorts of things by having sprinklers in their house. But you wouldn't abolish fire departments because people did that because it's still possible to have fires. So, on the one hand, we strengthen the system to try to prevent crisis, and on the other hand, if crisis ever occurs, we've greatly weakened it. And this goes back to this whole contagion aspect as well. What do you think is the answer uh, there? I know we talked about the idea of contagion and what it is, uh, but what do you think needs to be done to sort of uh, stop that in its tracks before it gets to the point where it's hurting the bigger uh, financial system? Well, you have to have... Uh, you know, three things in place, ideally. One is uh, you have to have a strong lender of last resort, the Federal Reserve. They did that in 2008. Uh, Unfortunately, they're now restricted on what they can do, particularly for non-banks, which are very important. Number two, you have to have uh, insurance, guarantees, uh, like bank deposit insurance, but it needs to be increased in a crisis and it needs to be extended beyond the banking system. We've also made that very difficult to do uh, in Dodd-Frank. And third, ultimately, you have to be prepared to inject capital in banks. And we did that with the TARP program. That has, of course, expired now, so we can't do that uh, very easily. So those are the things, you know, time-tested ways of preventing or stopping contagion if it happens. But uh, we're unfortunately uh, not really able to do those things uh, now. With the TARP program specifically, would you like to see something uh, in place where that can be done more easily, where it it doesn't have to go through that whole uh, congressional uh, uh, cycle? Would you like to have that as one of the tools in in the tool chest? 
Absolutely. Um, and uh, by the way, Europe uh, has that in their tool chest, and Japan has it in their tool chest. I would, I would uh, not like to allow that tool to be easily used, but you could have the whole tool out there. It could be totally designed, ideally pre-funded by the Congress. But I would give to the Congress the, you know, key. Uh, they have to pass a joint resolution. You remember in 2008 what happened, or 2009, is that you know uh, they couldn't pass TARP. Uh, the market went down the tubes. Paulson had come in there with a what people said was a term sheet, a one-page piece of paper, uh, and then you know within two days they kind of filled out some details. But we've learned a lot since then. We could do a much better design, but. You know, the prudent thing to do is to have the tool in place, as you suggest, but have a high bar for actually using it. As you mentioned there, a lot of d- damage happened in the, to- in the time that uh, it was first proposed and by the time it was finally put in place. That's damage that might have lessened the impact of that 2008 meltdown, is it not? Absolutely. Absolutely. You're quite right, Steve. Tell us about um, how the uh, other countries, like you mentioned, Japan has this in their in their tool chest. What is the 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 trigger there for putting this in place? Let's say if, if Japan was in some sort of financial meltdown. Well, Japan um, actually trusts the you know their agencies to do it. Uh, they have to get a special permission from the prime minister, but. Uh, you know, there's no vote in the parliament that would be required to trigger Japan's, uh, uh, if you will, TARP program. So they designed the whole thing. They've entrusted to their to their uh, prime minister ultimately the power to trigger it. You you mentioned a word there that I think might actually be one of the words, one of the things that's impacting what happens in the United States, and that is trust. Do you think that there is trust on all sides involved here, from the Congress to the executive branch uh, to others who are involved, that each side of this is going to get it right and not uh, do something for their own benefit? Absolutely no trust, Steve. I mean, this isn't limited to financial matters, as uh, our listeners are well aware. So the lack of trust uh, makes this uh, even more complicated. And so how do you get past that? You don't. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, um, you know, it would take a, um, uh, a considerable change in uh, American politics right now to get past this lack of trust between the Congress and the president. By the way, I don't think it's just because they happen to be of different parties. Uh, you know, in recent history, even when the same party controlled both branches, we've seen uh, a lack of trust between the two. The two have very different incentives. The congressmen want to get elected in, you know, uh, two years, and uh, the president has a a much uh, longer horizon. Uh, So it's kind of wired into the system, this uh, kind of disagreement uh, as to what to do. There is a, There are some that say that there are uh, shenanigans going on in the financial sector that could be leading us to another financial crisis. Are you seeing anything in uh, that that uh, concerns you, uh, that uh, the financial sector is doing again that they shouldn't be doing? Well, I don't think right now the, it's any shenanigans in the financial sector. You know, what, what we did experience, and we're still experienced to some extent, is the fallout from Brexit, that decision of the UK to leave the European Union. And uh, markets, so they've calmed down considerably since the vote, are still a little uh, on 
uncertain about what the future is going to be there. And just uh, yesterday we had some announcements about Italian banks being in trouble and, uh, you know, maybe they need to be recapitalized. Uh, so I think the the whole situation with Brexit and Europe uh, are, are troubling. But it's not about the banks fundamentally. It's about the political situation. Contagion can be triggered, Steve, by not just the financial system. as It could be triggered by anything. It could be triggered by Brexit. It could be triggered by terrorism. But whatever it's triggered by, we need to be able to, you know, fight it if it occurs. Hal Scott is author of Connectedness and Contagion, Protecting the Financial System from Panics from MIT Press. He's director of the program on international financial systems at Harvard Law School and also serves as director of the research organization Committee on Capital Markets Regulation. You can follow him on Twitter at Hal Scott underscore HLS. MIT Press is at MIT Press. And be sure to tune in weekdays from 5 to 6 a.m. for the opening bell on 720 WGN and find podcasts at WGNRadio.com. I'm Steve Grzanich. 